I think because when I was maybe a teenager, I was working here and there. And my dad had said, hey, you want to buy some stock? He was like, buy McDonald's. And and first I thought he was tricking me. He, I thought he just wanted to take my money. <laughs> Because he would say, hey, if you give me some of the money that you're working, I'll I'll buy McDonald's stocks for you. And I was like, no, 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 no. I think he's just trying to take my money and I'm never going to see it back again. So I didn't really believe him, but it at least was in my head that that's what you should do. For a long time, my dad was always very frugal, which actually was more of a negative for me and I didn't like it at all. I have this funny story where I tell people that I asked him for a quarter and he said no. So I said, can I have five cents? And he said no. And I said, can I have a penny? And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> Maybe hearing my friends talk about how how comfortable they felt now or how how rich they said they felt from their investments made me realize, okay, maybe I have to see myself differently now. And I'm not the person that I started out as who was, you know, hundreds of thousands in debt from student loans. So it was kind of like that shift of hearing other people and their perspective of what they said they have, and then kind of checking my accounts and then realizing, okay, I'm in a different place now. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, a show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 287. Hope everybody is having a great week. We saw a couple interesting things happen. I think a lot of them were expected to some degree this week with the Fed raising rates. That puts a uh, you know target up to what four four seventy five to five, which puts us right in line with where we were uh, back in two thousand seven. So, kind of interesting chart to look at. Fed funds back February, let's see here, this was August, late August of 2007 was 525, and then we saw started to see some steep declines into the 08, 09 crisis, um, basically bought him out at the beginning, end of 08 there, and we stayed there for, for quite some time, we saw a few hikes through 16, 17, 18, 19, and then uh, saw some of those decreases once again uh, through parts of 19 and 20 and we stayed back again at near zero for for a good part of 2020 and 2021 before we started seeing these hikes again uh, the greater part of 21 through 22 so and and really into to 23 now so be interested to see if we can still continue this uh, soft landing here and uh, you know inflation can get curbed and we can continue on a, on a good growth trajectory. I know it seems like there's quite a few things that uh, slowed down over the last couple months, but are starting to maybe see some rebound here into the spring months. So we'll keep a close eye on that as uh, those things definitely, uh, definitely have an effect in our lives. So this week we have Rachel. She works in finance and accounting. She's a net worth of just over a million, or just add, I guess, a million dollars. So we get into her store, her allocation. Has built up a, a great net worth in, in such a short time. Excited to have her on the show. Last week we had James, net worth of $29.5 million. If you're interested in that, a great episode with James. That's episode number 286. 
If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, please leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher. Got a great one in this last week that I wanted to read. It says, uh, this comes from... Uh, Aiming for the Sky says, Inspirational. It is such an awesome experience each week to listen to the diverse guests. The interviews are presented in a manner that allows the listener to follow the journey on the path to become a millionaire. All the guests portray the path portray that the path is possible for anyone to achieve. I look forward to my drive every Monday morning. I wish there were more episodes each week. Don't many of us wish there were more episodes this week. If there were only more, or each week, if there were only more hours in a day and more weeks in a month and more months in a year to make that happen. But uh, it's something we've discussed, and we'll see if uh, we'll see what the future holds in regard to that. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to to get some more reviews, trying to get our, and ratings, trying to get to a thousand by the end of the year. So please help us uh, achieve that. One thing I was going to mention too: this uh, on this episode this week, you will hear the voice of my wife again. I think this is the last one, though. I think we only did a, a couple of these, so. Uh, without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Rachel. Rachel, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Sure. I'm uh, working in a manufacturing company in corporate accounting, and I'm a mom of two, soon to be three. And um, I guess I would say I, I'm enjoying motherhood right now and kind of continuing to work full time as well. So kind of in the thick of everything right now. Awesome. Congrats. And how old are the Thank children? You. Um, five and three and zero. <laughs> <laughs> you are living our life. We've got a four-year-old, almost five, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So oh, awesome. we, we, we can feel the pain. My wife can yeah, resonate yeah. with that. <laughs> Definitely. I feel, I feel it on a very personal level. <laughs> And it almost feels like, where did all these years go after I had them? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that was just yesterday. But then I realize it's actually been a long time, but it doesn't feel like it when you're going through all of it. Good deal. And and what is your net worth today? It's between 950 and a million, depending on what the market is doing. Yeah, for sure. Today was up though, right? So we're probably at yep. the million mark, right? It was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really far up today, ironically. But at, at any rate, so what is the breakup of, of the million bucks? So I would say I like to think of it like 60-40, so 60% investments and 40% home equity or home and others. The home, I would say, is the second home that we bought and then some assets like cash and things like violins, camera equipment, um, cars, and then everything else is in 401ks or brokerages or kids' 529s. And the money that you have invested in the market, how is that uh, broken up? Is that in traditionals and Roths? Is it stock, bonds, mutual funds, index funds? Um, I think it's mostly traditional, but I do have about hundred something that's Roth because I've been contributing to both since I started working. And then I also have brokerage and I think brokerage is probably somewhere between a hundred and two hundred. And I don't really own bonds anymore. I think I got rid of those a few years ago. So is that all in index funds? Um, mostly or index funds? funds and mutual funds, yep. But I do have some individual stocks that I like to play with in the um, Roth. And, and what are those? On um, the individual stocks? Yeah. Um, those are, are kind of the fun ones that I like, like Target, Pepsi, McDonald's, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA. And then I might just do some fun ones here and there to see what happens. And how come you do that in your Roth? I think, be I can't remember why, but I think it was kind of like what I thought was going to be my 
fun play account and maybe because of the text text status of it and i think i kind of actually when i look at it right now i kind of do it in a little bit of everything so i do it in my ira as well and i think at one point i had a rhyme or reason and then over time i've been trying to switch to automate things a little more and i've been just kind of paring down so i think those are just the ones that i've kept around and just didn't want to get rid of yet interesting so let's let's back up here just a little bit when did your journey begin and have you always started to contribute to a retirement account yeah i when i started my first full time job when i was 21 so I immediately started doing 15%. And I think I, I usually was always doing 5% to raw, and then everything else was too traditional. And then whatever company match that people would do, I would make sure I was getting that as well. I think in the beginning, I included the match as part of my 15%. And then later on, I kind of increased it so that I wasn't including the company match in my 15%. And so I would say I've been doing it since I was 21. So 21, you've been doing this for several years. What, I, I mean, 21 years old, most people aren't thinking about putting money into a retirement account. How did you get to that mindset and the have the muscle to be able to do that and part with some of that money to put in investments? I think because when I was maybe a teenager, I was working here and there and my dad had said, hey, you want to buy some stock? He was like, buy mcdonald's and and first i thought he was tricking me he i thought he just wanted to take my money because <laughs> he would say hey if you give me some of the money that you're working i'll i'll buy mcdonald's stocks for you and i was like no 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 i think he's just trying to take my money and i'm never gonna see it back again so i didn't really believe him but it at least was in my head that that's what you should do and he said, you know, if you hold on to it for a long time, it's going to grow grow in value and you'll have more money later. And he's like, you should invest. So I had that in my head. So when I went to college, I kind of accidentally went to business school because I was trying to find software engineering, but then found some classes that I thought were interesting for business and just started learning about that. And so I was interested in the accounting and finance classes. And so when you're in those kinds of classes with people, people are always talking about investing and the stocks that they have. And, you know, some of them are fake accounts and there's clubs where people, you know, have fake money that they put and invest and compete. So I heard people talking about it. So it kind of drew my interest and then I didn't really have my own money to put into it. So I kind of put it all together when I started working. And when I started doing that, I had always heard some sort of rule of thumb of 15%. I don't know if I got that from school or just from being curious about it and reading about it online. Um, so I was like, okay, 15 to 20% is what you're supposed to do to retire. So that's what I started doing when I first started. And then as I was at my job, I was always looking up articles and reading about investing and started putting in all the advice that I would read about into my life. So I guess part and, of dad and oh, curiosity. Sorry. And so was that 15 to 20% you were saving of what you were making? Or yeah, that's that what point? I was investing in the retirement funds. Very good. And then at what point um, did you buy your first home then? Because you mentioned you have two. Yeah. So um, I don't have the first one anymore, but it was actually when I was 26 when the market fell and everybody was terrified. I think it was back in, you know, after 08 crash. 
And so it was around 2010, 11, 12, where nobody was buying houses and there were so many houses on the market. And there's an area kind of where I was living where there's a lot of small blue collar houses that are very small, like 1,000 square feet, one, one bathroom. Some might not even have a garage. Some don't even have a basement. But I started kind of looking there, even though I kind of was scared and I had, you know, a little bit of hesitation because I didn't know the area and what kind of people were there and if it was safe. And, you know, especially when houses actually dropped to like 50 grand or even less. I first was going to buy in a, a more different neighborhood where a lot of young people live and it's more like a city. But then I had this dream where it fell on me. So I got nervous and I canceled on it. And then I started praying, you know, hey, God, help me find a house that I can actually afford with what I have right now, because I'm feeling nervous about taking on this mortgage right now. So then I started looking at HUD homes, and then I found one popped up. And so I jumped on it, and then I bid on it, and then I actually got it, and it was 26 It was actually listed for less than that, but I bid a little bit higher because I wanted it. Wow, that's incredible, and I love that little lesson of faith in there too. <laughs> yeah. It was it was weird at the time, but I'm like who can even buy a house with the money I saved as a down payment, you know? But I thought maybe I can expand where I'm willing to look and what I'm willing to get. Yeah, definitely. And so you said you sold that house since then? Yep. I sold it a few years ago before I started or as I just started a family because it got too small with all the baby gear. <laughs> and so I sold it for somewhere around 135000 Nice. Nice little nugget ad there. Yeah. And then you mentioned a second home previously. Is that um, you guys use that as like a second home personally do you rent that out so we so that's the first house that I lived in and then I sold it and then I and then I bought another house after that and so the second house is where I'm currently living got it Mm -hmm. got it awesome so Rachel as as you've gone on this journey you started extremely early was the way that you were raised in in the conversations you had at home been pretty critical to your early start and your early success I would think so I mean I know that for a long time my dad was always very frugal, which actually was more of a negative for me and I didn't like it at all. I have this funny story where I tell people that I asked him for a quarter and he said no. So I said, can I have five cents? And he said no. And I said, can I have a penny? And he said, absolutely not. (laughs) So then after that day, I was like, well, I'm not getting anything from him. So if I want to make money, I better make it myself. So I guess in a way I saw somebody living very frugally. And so that probably did train me to feel kind of bad spending money or think that it's kind of a negative thing to go out and buy things you like or to waste. So I think I started out kind of trying to live lean and as lean as possible and felt like I couldn't buy myself things or do things I wanted to do. So it was a little bit easier to start out that way. And then over time, I've actually had to learn to not live like that because I know what he's like now and he's still like that, even though he's retired. So I think some people, it's just their personality forever. And you think, oh, one day they'll loosen up a little bit. But sometimes it's almost like the fear just has a hold of them for the rest of their life. And I don't really want to live like that. I want to live so that I can enjoy life too, but also have a future that's comfortable. For that, I've kind of listened to um, Ramit Sethi because he kind of started talking about how to spend to kind of live your rich life and kind of help me let go of 
feeling so guilty about spending on certain things or buying things. So in the last few years after I've had kids, I've kind of been trying to enjoy what I've saved and made so far and kind of striking that balance. How do you like to spend or enjoy along the way? Food. (laughs) Definitely food is my weakness. So I eat out multiple times a week. Um, Another thing we really enjoy is, you know, renovating the home. So it could go to renovating the home or lots of food or just kind of doing things that my dad would never do growing up but that I find enjoyment. Because one other story I have is my dad wouldn't fix things around the house and wouldn't really update anything. And one day when we were moving, he changed everything. He got new carpet, new couches, everything was new so that he could sell the house. And my mom and my sister, we were all like, wow, the house looks so great. They're like, I I didn't know we could even live in this house and it looks so nice. And we were like, it's a shame we only get to enjoy this for a week before we move out. So I kind of remember that growing up. So now I'm like, okay, if there's something in my house that needs to be fixed, I'm going to update it. If there's something that could bring enjoyment to my home, like say water treatment or something that's not necessary but makes my life better because I use it a lot I'm going to do it when did that shift and I guess trying to have a little bit more balance start for you given that you saw the way you grew up and and decided you wanted to to, to make a little bit of a shift from from the way that your father did it Mm -hmm. I would say maybe five years ago like around when I started having kids and started a family. I think because when the market started picking up, you know, for the longest time, I never even looked at them. There was a period of probably five or six years where I just didn't even log into my accounts at work because I was, I used to play this game where I would just trick myself and make myself think I have less than I actually have. So I actually wouldn't check my work retirement account. And then, you know, when everybody started talking about it because the market was doing great, People would text me and be like, oh, my gosh, my account is awesome right now. Or, oh, my goodness, I made, you know, somebody's salary this year on my investments. So then I was like, oh, maybe I should go check. And then when I went and checked, I was like, oh, wow, like I didn't realize it grew so much because it was just a, you know, an increasing period of time. And before that, you know, when I was starting out my career, it was when the recession was around. So things just weren't moving for several years. So it wasn't the way it was back around, you know, 2000, I say 18, 19, 20, 2020, stuff like that. So it was kind of around when the market started going up a lot more is when I started checking and realized I have more than I actually let myself believe that I had. And that maybe hearing my friends talk about how how comfortable they felt now or how how rich they said they felt from their investments made me realize, okay, maybe I have to see myself differently now. And I'm not the person that I started out as who was, you know, hundreds of thousands in debt from student loans. So it was kind of like that shift of hearing other people and their perspective of what they said they have, and then kind of checking my accounts and then realizing, okay, I'm in a different place now. What was your approach on, uh, on paying off your student debt? Oh, okay. So for that, I ended up actually leaving Chicago because I had a consulting job. And then I realized once the payments started, I'm like, how am I going to actually 
build wealth if I'm just spending everything on my rent and my loan payments. So I actually moved back home and then moved in with my parents for about three and a half years. And then I just did everything I could to just put extra payments on for that three and a half years to pay it all off. So basically, I was getting obsessed during that time where I was just checking, you know, how much I had left over every paycheck and would throw everything on my student loans. And then I was just counting down how much I would have. Wow, way to go on that. That's that's some hustle on, on paying those yeah. off. Yeah, people were trying to get me to go out to lunch at work. And I would say, no, sorry, I brought lunch pretty much every single day. And they were like, wow, you're no fun, you know. And it, it felt really hard for a while, but I told myself I would think it's worth it later on. I don't do that anymore, though. <laughs> yeah, now you're eating lunch wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you pay off the, the student loans? How long did it take? It took three and a half years. So I think it was like two 2010, something like that. And and did you stop any of your investing in retirement accounts or or nope. change any habits during that time? Nope, I did not stop that. I was still tithing and I was still doing my 401k and retirement accounts. 2023 is flying by, especially if you're a business owner. In fact, we are just about to wrap up Q1, which is absolutely wild. It's important to take the time to plan to make the most of your time. In fact, you don't want to wait any longer to level up your small business and set your year up for success. Get ahead of the competition by using stamps.com to mail and ship. Stamps.com lets you print your own postage and shipping labels right from your home or office. It's ready to go in minutes so you can get back to running your business sooner. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the UPS, USPS shipping service. You need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And if you sell products online, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Set up your business for success when you get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MILLIONAIRE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MILLIONAIRE. Once again, four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. That's www.stamps.com slash millionaire. And thanks to Stamps.com for sponsoring today's show. Awesome. One thing I, I want to get into a little bit. So you started this journey a little bit on your own. Then mm-hmm. you got married. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And now you've got a, a, a couple children. What was that dynamic like as you were meeting your husband and discussing with him, you know, hey, this is the approach I have. This is what my plan is. Was he on board from the beginning or or what did that look like? So I think we came from very different um, financial situations and I didn't really know until I kind of knew, but I didn't fully know until we were about to get married when I said, can I see, you know, your accounts? So I knew he had student loans as well, but I didn't realize how big it was. And I think he was partially, you know, embarrassed about it. So once we got married, it was actually kind of difficult time because then I had to spend the next three and a half years paying that off. So it was almost like starting over again, but to help him to kind of get get to zero, right? (laughs) And so I think it's just a completely different way we started out. Was he in a position to help you with paying off those loans or were you primarily paying those off yourself? It was primarily me because the jobs that he had, he either wasn't employed or they weren't paying very well at all. 
So I think I was just, so what I did originally was a big no-no that people say you shouldn't do. I actually took money out of some of my Roth account, actually, and I paid some chunks off there because there was quite a bit. And then I even took like the 10% penalty for early withdrawal to pay it down because the interest rates on his student loans were 10% or more. So they were just absolutely egregious. (laughs) And then, so I didn't do it with a lot. But I did it with some of it. And then there was another thing that I did was I took a HELOC out because the HELOC at the time, the rates were pretty low and they were much lower than the 10 plus interest rates that he was paying. And so I took it against that 126 grand house I told you about. And then I actually moved all the um, student loan payments kind of under the HELOC and was paying it off there after that. So I did whatever I could to kind of decrease whatever the interest was and then just start paying it down as quickly as possible. So in terms of of your approach and your outlook now, are you driving a lot of the conversation or is it more mutual or how does that work and how does that dynamic work between the two of y'all now? So it's definitely me doing the the finances and the math and then he helps a lot more with the kids. We've kind of found that we we like what we like and I definitely really enjoy the finances. So he kind of lets me do it and then now now that he's got a bigger income, I've been trying to have him have bigger um, investments and build up his retirement account on. So we kind of viewed everything as a team, I would say. It wasn't like your money, my money. It was kind of, okay, well, this is what we are together now. So what would I do if this were the same situation as myself? And I almost feel like it actually got dealt with faster after we got married because I didn't get married to him for a while because I was hoping the financial stuff would get in order first. But I realized that you know, once you're married, you're a little bit stronger together, I think, because you kind of complement each other in different things. And then you have that commitment there that you're able to put in that money and put in that help and, and have that trust there. Man, our listeners are going are gonna to love this episode. They, they are always wanting somebody who's who's driving that bus that's a female for whatever reason are... <laughs> demographics for the most part have been male. I mean, we have had some female interviews, but we get the request a lot. So I'm glad that one, you're willing and two, that you're willing to share the way that you have. So appreciate it. Definitely. I'm excited to be on the call. Yeah. So in terms of where you go from here, is there a certain net worth target that you're looking towards or something that you want to do, you know, from accomplishment standpoint, the next five, 10, 20 years? Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to kind of at least, you know, hit like one to two or something that gives me a comfortable like 4% withdrawal rate, that would be nice where I can feel like I could coast. And then another thing that I have that's a dream of mine, and I don't know when I'll hit it, is I wanted to maybe one day own a franchise of some sort. It started out a long time ago feeling like, okay, I really want to own a McDonald's, but they keep getting more expensive. So I don't know if I ever could anymore. (laughs) But I think I can probably try other franchises that are smaller along the way and build up money that way. And maybe one day it could still happen. I'm not sure. But that's my crazy dream that I have. Do you plan on retiring early? I would like to, but I think when I say retire early, I would say it's probably retiring from working for someone early. But then when once I do that, it would probably be me tinkering with franchises myself. How critical has the profession that you chose been integral in your success? I think it 
gives me a really good way to look at investments and business because I wanted to really understand the numbers because I think that drives a lot of what people do. So I really wanted to understand accounting and finance. And so I think at the same time, it makes me a little bit more risk averse as well. So where somebody else might jump into some sort of real estate or a home or venture, I might see all the cost that goes into it and be like, no, 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 that's not worth it. So I actually see myself sitting more on the sidelines because A, I don't even have a rental property yet. I've been looking for two years. I still haven't found one where the numbers are good enough and um, other people might've jumped at it and thought it was a great opportunity, right? So I think it's a positive because it, it helps me not make any bad financial decisions, but it's all it, it also could be a negative because I could be just sitting on the sidelines being too risk averse. Has your risk tolerance changed over time? I think it, I think so. So actually, the funny part is I feel like the older I'm getting, the maybe I'm getting more risk averse. I don't know if it's just the years just being behind the numbers or if it's because I have kids now, but it feels like I'm a little more risk averse for some things. And then, but at the same time, I'm also spendy about stuff that I never used to spend on, if that makes sense. No, it does for sure. You had the, the, the mindset shift a few years ago to have a little mm-hmm. bit more balance. And, you know, I, ironically, I feel like we've been seeing that a little bit more and more with more of our kind of millennial type, which I'm putting you in that category, sorry, mm-hmm. millionaires where they may have grown up in, in a situation with parents who typically were more risk adverse and have done very well mm-hmm. and have been very successful from an investment standpoint, or maybe they weren't. And the, and the parent, you know, the child is like, look, what my parents were reckless with money and I don't want to be, you know, and so I, we're seeing that more where I don't want to get to the point that my parents are at where they've been successful, they've built up a great net worth, had a great life, but now they haven't ever really, you know, ex- exercised that muscle to, you know, spend, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. or to enjoy some of it. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so, no, we are seeing a big shift in that with especially with millennial millennial millionaires, but mm-hmm. even millionaires across the board. I mean, we just inter- interviewed uh, one earlier tonight and, and and he's, you know, of retirement age. And he's like, yeah, I didn't really, you know, really increase my lifestyle along the way that much. But I do now because mm-hmm. at some point, like, you know, it it's either going to charity or my kids or whatever. Right. 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 And I've I've seen someone you know, not use it at all, even during retirement. And I don't like it. (laughs) And it just doesn't look fun. It doesn't look happy. It doesn't look fulfilling. And so that's not what I want. And, and another thing you say is that, you know, our parents' generation could be a lot of risk averse people, like people who worked in one company for their whole life, or that was their road to wealth was just, you know, working at one company and they don't really do rentals. They don't do any of this. So that's where I kind of don't really have that kind of mentor or someone to look at. I've kind of done everything just kind of reading by myself and being interested, but I don't, I've never seen someone in my personal life where I'm like, oh, this is what they did, or they got these rentals and then they got these franchises. It's it's never been about how do I earn more money or how do I maximize money? It's been, what do I do with what I have from my regular, you know, W-2 income? So I think that's good because I've learned all the the cost minimization and the investing part of it, but I I haven't actually learned firsthand from someone how to actually start a business or buy a franchise or go into real estate. And so that's the part where I kind of struggle right now. Yeah, for sure. So do your friends or family know of your well? I don't think anyone does, to be honest. I think some friends kind of assume because they always just kind of talk to me about their real estate investments or their portfolio because I had always talked to them about it when I was starting off when we were like 21. So I have a couple of those kinds of friends, but there are other people like family that 
that have no idea. No. And I think because I lived so frugally for so long, I have a feeling they would never think that. So Rachel, you mentioned you didn't like how you were raised in terms of how your dad handled finances. So what's your plan how are you teaching your young kids about money? Are you or what's your plan to as they get a little older? Yeah, so something I would like to do differently is kind of like a, early on, I want to kind of teach them how to save, how, how like a three bucket mentality where it's like what to give, what to save and what to spend so that it's kind of a balanced look about money and not just like 100% save. And then I also want them to just be encouraged to kind of seek out how to make more money, not just how to use up less money, if that makes sense. And so things that I never got to learn, like how to start a business or how to find, buy a franchise or how to, you know, just these interesting entrepreneurial ventures. Um, that's the kind of thing I would want them to be good at and kind of practice that muscle. I've been kind of teaching them how to earn money around the house by doing things. So I have this thing called a bean jar where um, if they fill up their bean jar, they get to pick a prize that they want. And I'll tell them different things I want them to learn how to do. And I'll kind of assign a value of number of beans to those things that I'm trying to get them to learn at that moment. And so if they say, say one of them is going to put away all the dishes out of the dishwasher, then I'll say, okay, I'll give you 10 beans every time you do that. So I have one of my kids going around saying, I want, I want this dinosaur tomorrow. So can I do some stuff around the house today? What can I do? So that that's kind of what I've been starting them on at the moment. That's great. I like that. So you'll, you'll <laughs> soon be converting beans to money and, and having them yep. kind of make that connection. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very cool. And I had a, another question about, about your life with young kids. So how are you doing this in terms of childcare? Obviously very expensive. Expensive? Are they in daycare? How are you allotting for that in terms of your finances? So they, so they do a tu- tuition preschool, and then when they're not in the preschool, my mom is helping me. And I live, I moved to a house that's like a mile and a half away from us. So I'm really glad because she's a stay-at-home mom and she always has been. So she's been willing to do that. So my money is mostly towards the tuition preschool. Oh, bless grandparents. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> you yeah. have that in addition. That's yeah. great. And I hope one day I can do the same thing because I know it was done for me. Honestly, the more that I've had children, I've, I I don't know why we don't do more multi-generational living here in the States mm-hmm. because it makes so much sense. It does. Sometimes I look at million-dollar houses and I'm like, if my dad and mom would just agree to split this with me, we could be living nice. (laughs) (laughs) So Rachel, let's uh, wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What is the most expensive pair of shoes that you've ever purchased? Mm, Probably $120 for running shoes. What about the most expensive meal that you've paid for? I think that would be recently. um, I think it was over $400, but it was for two of us. It was at uh, a seafood place. (laughs) What about the most expensive trip or experience that you've paid for? Oh, I actually haven't paid too much for my trip, but maybe Hawaii. And how much was that? uh, Hawaii, probably maybe $1,000 for the two of us. I used to travel hack, so I think it doesn't count. It wouldn't be the true cost. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's okay. Sometimes you get the experiences without having to to pay the the full prices, right? Between credit card points and upgrades and everything like that. No, I I get it. I mean, that's that's also something in the millennial generation partakes of more than probably most. Yeah. What is worth it to spend the money on and what is not? Mm, 
I think I find house house stuff worth it and food worth it. But for me, I don't like spending money on clothes and makeup. I just don't get as much enjoyment out of it and I end up not using it. And then clothes, I feel like I have this love-hate relationship where I have that mentality where I'm like, oh, I got to find something that's on sale or something that's cheap. And then I end up hating it after I wear it once or twice. And I'm like, why did I even buy this? I should have just bought something full price that I really, really loved. So, but that's just kind of how I see it. I spend most of my money on food and house stuff, not much on clothing. And Okay. And what age did you become a millionaire? Um, I'm 37. Okay. I'm probably going to get in trouble. You're never supposed to ask age, right? But oh. <laughs> for, for, for the context of this, you, you became a millionaire in your, in your late 30s. So mm-hmm. what? And I mis- wasn't even trying in the beginning. And I just realized a year <laughs> or two ago, I was like, oh, I'm actually almost there because I told you I tricked myself for the longest time and I didn't connect all my accounts to my aggregator either. So it was kind oh. of a automate you know a very simple simple setup lots of hustling in the back of saving money though and cutting costs early yeah on. for sure what mistakes have you made along the way that you would caution others against oh I would say never take a pay cut when switching jobs. I've done that multiple times or I just like took the same pay because I was so desperate to try something new. I think selling yourself short is the biggest mistake that's related to that. Thinking I might not know how to do the next job or thinking, oh, it's a function switch. I probably won't know anything and they're going to fire me. And then just taking whatever salary was there, not realizing that I was actually, you know, more able to do something a lot different. That would be my biggest career mistakes. And what piece of advice or books would you recommend to somebody who's just starting out or beginning their journey? I think, okay, so I forgot to tell you this book earlier, but The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. I think if someone can read that early on, it will really help kind of see that perspective of wealth and how to add value wherever you work or how you work. And what was that book called? The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Oh, okay. I don't think we've had that one recommended before. It's pretty good. I I only read it a few years ago, but I wish I had read it before I started a career. Interesting. Maybe even in college when you're just thinking of what you want to do with your life. Awesome. The full title is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, A Guide to Wealth and Happiness. Awesome. That's Rachel. I guess you're on here more or less to do your million dollar hauler at this point. Just hit a million (laughs) bucks, right? (laughs) Yep. And I think that it's, you know, I didn't really do anything crazy or have all these business ventures. And so I think this is something that anyone can do starting out 21 and kind of copy and implement the same stuff. So hopefully it's kind of, you know, something that someone can look at and be like, I want to do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. That's Rachel net worth of $1 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. It was great meeting you guys. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.